Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you enjoy this episode of our podcast. Iran nuclear deal within reach as hostages are freed and Russia backs down over Ukraine sanctions. Conflict in Ukraine, an oil shock, the fate of hostages in Iran and a feared nuclear arms race in the Middle East appear like a giant not in international affairs but one that might be loosening. Diplomats trying to salvage the moribund 2015 Iran nuclear deal think they may be on the cusp of a new accord. After 11 months of on and off talks in Vienna, Western officials say very few issues remain to be resolved. Meanwhile, Russia appeared to have backed down on threats to scupper an agreement over Ukraine-related sanctions. To back a new deal along with the US, UK, France, Germany, EU and China, Russia had demanded for a guarantee that Western sanctions on Moscow would not apply to its trade with Iran. Russia plays a key role in ensuring the nuclear containment deal works by importing excess enriched uranium from Iran so it can't be used to build nukes. But one ex-Iranian diplomat told Middle East I that the importance of Russia's role had been overstated. It is no big deal. The US and Europe can easily find another country to do that for Iran he said. That leaves an agreement up to political leaders in Washington and Tehran. We are close to a possible deal, but we're not there yet State Department spokesman Ned Price said on Wednesday. But another development suggests an accord is on the cards. The release of British-Iranian nationals Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe and Anusha Shori after years of detention in Iran has added to the impression of a vital thaw in West-Iranian relations. The hope is that the remaining hostages will be released by Tehran. Officials in Europe and the US, which withdrew from the nuclear deal in 2018 under the Trump presidency, think an agreement will be difficult while several American citizens remain jailed in Iran. If the prisoner issue be resolved, Price said the gaps in the nuclear negotiations could be closed quickly. Oil supplies complicate the picture. Iran's long-time alliance with Russia, underlined by its support for Russia's wars in Syria and Ukraine, and the prospect of high earnings from spiraling crude prices would appear to put Tehran in Moscow's orbit. But American goodwill, brought by turning on the oil taps, might prove more lucrative in the long run. A new nuclear containment deal cannot come quickly enough for the heavily sanctioned and long-suffering people of Iran and of course, for the prospects for peace and stability in the Middle East and beyond. Some experts think Iran now needs only 60 days to enrich enough uranium for a weapon. Israel, spurred on by Iran's nuclear ambitions, continues to trade blows with Tehran across the region. Iran fired a barrage of ballistic missiles into Iraq at the weekend, striking what it claimed was an Israeli target. It appears that the attack was retaliation for a previously secret Israeli airstrike on an Iranian drone factory last month. Who owns Piando? Inside Russian links has 800 staff sacked. Piando Ferries has paused its services ahead of a major company announcement which is due later today. Its fleet of more than 20 ships have been ordered to stay in port until further notice 
though the reasoning behind the decision is yet to be confirmed. The sudden announcement comes as an increasing number of Western companies boycott Russian traders and impose sanctions on the country, but are the two linked? This is everything you need to know about who owns P&O Ferries. Who owns P&O Ferries? The company is owned by Dubai-based logistics giant DP World who purchased P&O Ferries back in 2019. According to UK Ports, DP World is a leading enabler of global trade, and is recognized as an integral part of the supply chain. The worldwide company has a team of more than 36,500 employees from 103 countries and works closely with governments, shipping lines and other important constituents. DUPMP Jim Shannon said in a statement today, I understand that 40% of the holdings of P&O Ferries is owned by a Russian company. According to their website, DP World signed an agreement for the Northern Transit Corridor in July 2021. In a statement released at the time of the announcement, Sultan Ahmed bin Sulaim, Group Chairman and CEO of DP World said, DP World supports Russia's efforts to diversify trade flows between Asia and Europe. The Northern Transit Corridor holds out the prospect of shorter transit times between East and West. The agreement was signed in St. Petersburg by Sultan Ahmed bin Sulaim and Alexey Likhashev, Director General of Rosatom. All major routes between Britain, France and Ireland have halted sailing, though the company has insisted that it is not going bust. Confirming the route will be off for a number of days in a post on Twitter, which read, P&O Ferries services are unable to run for the next few days. We are advising travellers of alternative arrangements. We will update this feed every 30 minutes with the operational situation. A spokesperson for P&O Ferries said, P&O Ferries plays a critical role in keeping trade flowing, supply chains moving, and connecting families and friends across the North and Irish Seas and the English Channel. We have been at the heart of this service for years and we are committed to serving these vital routes. However, in its current state, P&O Ferries is not a viable business. We have made a £100 million loss year on year, which has been covered by our parent DP World. This is not sustainable. Our survival is dependent on making swift and significant changes now. Without these changes there is no future for P&O Ferries. P&O Ferries, the leading ferry firm between Dover and Calais, has suspended all its sailings ahead of a major company announcement. A total for 800 staff have also been fired, while hundreds of holidaymakers are out of pocket. The firm went on, these circumstances have resulted in a very difficult but necessary decision which was only taken after seriously considering all the available options. As part of the process we are starting today, we are providing 800 seafarers with immediate severance notices and will be compensating them for this lack of advance notice with enhanced compensation packages. In making this tough decision, 
we are securing the future viability of our business which employs an additional 2,200 people and supports billions in trade in and out of the UK. And we are ensuring that we can continue serving our customers in a way that they have demanded from us for many years. P&O's actions have sparked concern amongst both its passengers, staff and even the government. According to Sky News, Transport Secretary Grant Shapps expressed concern at the suspension of sailings. Mr Shapps said, I am concerned with this news which is breaking on P&O ferries. I understand they have temporarily paused their operations and that's causing disruption at the short straits, Calais Dover, as well as some other ports. He added that he will be having urgent discussions with his officials to establish the circumstances of the decision. P&O sailings suspended for second day as anger at 800, sacking grows. Services were suspended and a series of demonstrations are expected to take place against P&O's appalling decision to sack 800 seafarers. Unions and politicians condemned the mass dismissal, blamed by the company on losses of £100 million following the slump in travel because of the pandemic. The firm said early on Friday it would not be able to operate services for the next few days from Dover to Calais. Hull to Rotterdam, Liverpool to Dublin, and Cairn Ryan, Scotland, to Larne, Northern Ireland. It advised those already at Dover and Calais to make their way to the check-in booths for Danish firm DFDS, but there were no such instructions for those at Hull, Rotterdam, Liverpool, Dublin, Cairn Ryan or Larne. The Labour MP for Kingston-upon-Hull East called on the government to force P&O to come up with a different plan. Carl Turner told the BBC, What I say to the government is you've got to get P&O into a position where they are prepared to negotiate with the trade union members. And they've got to come up with a different plan. They can't just summarily dismiss people without any consultation or notice. It's 800 jobs across the country. Earlier, the Rail, Maritime and Transport Union, RMT, said it was seeking legal advice to challenge the sackings. It said the UK has seen one of the most vicious examples of despotic employer behaviour and one of the most shameful episodes in its recent industrial history. Announcing the decision on Thursday, the ferry operator, bought by Dubai-based logistics giant DP World in 2019, insisted the decision to cut jobs was very difficult but necessary as it was not a viable business in its current state. The 800 workers were sacked immediately, with no notice, so they can be replaced by cheaper labour. Security guards boarded ships with handcuffs to remove fired crew, it was alleged. The union called for mass trade union and wider public support for demonstrations in Dover, Liverpool and Hull on Friday. In a message to RMT members, General Secretary Mick Lynch said, It was with deep shock that I learned the news of the wholesale job cuts taking place at P&O ferries, but I am sure that my shock was nothing as compared to the devastation this news brought to you and your colleagues. 
This appalling situation has arisen as a result of DP World wishing to maximize their profits and the failure of the government to intervene and protect the jobs of you and your colleagues. Conservative MP Hugh Merriman, chairman of the Transport Select Committee, said Piando had shown contempt for its staff. If they do not reverse immediately and reinstate the employees and follow proper process, it's hard to see a way back for them commercially he said. The parent DP world needs to understand that the British public will not do business with companies who treat their employees with such contempt. Shadow Transport Secretary Louise Haig said, this is not a corporate restructure. It's not the way we go about business in this country. It is beneath contempt, the action of thugs. Piando Ferries said in a statement, We have made a £100 million loss year on year, which has been covered by our parent, DP World. This is not sustainable. Our survival is dependent on making swift and significant changes now. Without these changes there is no future for Piando Ferries. Chancellor Rishi Sunak says government will make a difference where we can on spiralling cost of living. Chancellor Rishi has said he will do what he can to help reduce the effects of the spiralling cost of living in next week's spring statement. But he said he can't solve every problem. Speaking in an interview with Conservative MP Paul Minard at the party's spring forum in Blackpool this morning, he said factors such as global inflation are somewhat out of my control. He said he had enormous sympathy with people who are struggling to pay their bills. Mr Sunak said, it is about taking stock of the situation which, of course, is difficult. I can see that, and I have enormous sympathy for what people are going through at the moment and that's why we will always be there to help make a difference where we can. I can't solve every problem, no government can solve every problem particularly when you are grappling with global inflationary forces, they are somewhat out of my control. But as you saw a month or so ago when we announced the very significant intervention to help people meet some of the additional costs of energy bills, where we can make a difference, of course I can, I'm always going to do that, we've done it over the last two years. So, we will have an update on the situation and a little bit of a look forward to where we are heading. Mr Sunak said it had been necessary to put up taxes to rebuild the public finances following the COVID-19 outbreak, but that was over now. He said his focus was turning to how to cut taxes. That is done. We have made the difficult decisions that we had to make. My priority going forward is to cut taxes. I made that very clear at the budget he said. Mr Sunak defended the rises he had introduced. He argued that it would not have been economically responsible not to have addressed the problems caused by the pandemic. I did not get into this to have to put up people's taxes. I'm conservative, I'm a conservative chancellor. It's the last thing I wanted to do the Chancellor said. I also take really seriously my responsibility to you, 
our kids and to the nation's finances and making sure we fixed the problems that coronavirus caused where our borrowing went up to levels we haven't seen since World War II and our debt was forecast to keep growing and growing and growing into the future. I didn't think that was right. I didn't think it was morally right. I didn't think it was economically responsible. It was not easy but I do believe it was the right thing to do. Mr Sunak said the government had gone from crisis to crisis under Boris Johnson as he discussed the response to the coronavirus pandemic. He added, it has been a little bit, for all of us actually, the Prime Minister more than anyone, just crisis to crisis, it feels like that. Which isn't great, I mean it's not great for any of us. Mod Intelligence finds Russia is not supplying troops with even basic essentials. The Ministry of Defense has published its latest intelligence update on the situation in Ukraine. The update, for Thursday, details a number of points. It has been found that logistical problems continue to beset Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Russia is not effectively resupplying its forward troops with basic essentials such as food and fuel. This comes down to a number of factors, including reluctance to maneuver cross-country, a lack of control of the airspace and limited bridging capabilities. Russia has been forced to divert a large number of troops to defend its own supply lines, due to incessant Ukrainian counterattacks. This is severely limiting Russia's offensive potential. The UK government has condemned Russia's attack on Ukraine, describing it as an unprovoked war. The government has confirmed it is providing defensive military aid to Ukraine, continuing to work with international partners to supply vital weapons to the Ukrainian armed forces. Covid cases soared to highest levels ever recorded in UK, one in five report rare symptoms. If you've looked outside your window, wandered to the shops or hopped on the tube lately, you've probably come to the conclusion that the pandemic has receded. That's because the UK government has dropped virtually all remaining restrictions. However, there appears to be a yawning chasm between public health policy and COVID caseload. COVID cases are now at the highest levels the Zoe COVID study has ever recorded warned Professor Tim Spector of King's College London and head of the Zoe Symptom Tracker app. The professor was reporting on the latest data published to the Zoe COVID study, which is based on the information logged by users in the Zoe Symptom Tracker app and the results from the swab testing program. It identifies differences in numbers within the regions throughout the UK, and tracks the change in estimated cases over time. According to Zoe COVID study incidence figures, in total there are 258,155 currently new daily symptomatic cases of COVID in the UK on average. A massive increase of 47% from 175,189 reported last week. In terms of prevalence, on average 1 in 24 people in the UK currently have symptomatic COVID. In the regions, England, 1 in 25. Wales, 1 in 33. Scotland, 1 in 21. 
New daily symptomatic cases have bounced back and are rising in all regions of England and the UK, the Zoe data shows. New cases are also rising across all the age groups, with worryingly high increases in the older, more vulnerable age group. He Zoe COVID study incidence figures, new symptomatic cases, are based on reports from around 840,000 weekly contributors and the proportion of newly symptomatic users who have received positive swab tests. The latest survey figures were based on data from 54,409 recent swab tests done on symptomatic cases in the two weeks up to 14 March 2022. Delving further into the data, the most common symptom currently reported is runny nose, accounting for 80% of all symptomatic cases, reports Professor Aspector. The professor said rare symptoms such as ear ringing and feeling unusual muscle pains are also being reported. They are seen in about one in five symptomatic cases, he noted. You should get tested and self-isolate for five days if you encounter any of the symptoms, advised Professor Aspector. Commenting on the latest data, Professor Aspector said, comments on the latest data. COVID cases are now at the highest levels the Zoe COVID study has ever recorded. Even more concerning is the rise in new cases in people aged over 75. This vulnerable group has had low case numbers for months. We will need to wait a few weeks to see the full impact on increased hospitalization but numbers have already started to rise. The data shows this pandemic is definitely not over yet and is more unpredictable than ever, despite government messages to the contrary and a lack of public health advice. He continued, the Zoe COVID study, with its 700,000 strong contributor base, remains the best tool the UK has in detecting and spotting new waves of infections. Although our funding from the UXA will stop in just a few weeks, Zoe will continue to track and monitor COVID-19 for the safety and security of the UK. Tesco shopper fills up car with cooking oil as petrol prices surge in UK. Avido has emerged of a man filling up his car with cooking oil outside a Tesco as petrol prices soar. The video taken by a resident nearby shows a man with a trolley full of oil outside the supermarket car park pouring the oil into his vehicle. Mark Rainford, who posted the video on Facebook on Tuesday, the 15th of March, with the caption What Fuel Prices, said he found the situation strange. Speaking to Cheshire Live he said, I filmed it and as I walked past him he was taking all the tops off the bottles first, that's what made me laugh. He had clearly thought it through. Hundreds of people were amused by the video with some praising the man for his ingenuity and saying the car would run just fine. Others were more pessimistic over the vehicle's chances of functioning. One man said, it's going to be a busy night for the AA when everyone tries this in their modern diesel engines. Another commenter said, don't go putting veg oil in your car or van unless it's old type diesel engine. They added, it's too thick and you'll blow the diesel pump up and especially don't put it in a petrol car forward slash van. One person posted, 
To use veg oil you need a heater in the fuel system and also the glycerin in the oil will eventually clog up the fuel system and homogenize the engine lubrication oil. The only way it works is to convert it to biodiesel using toxic and dangerous chemicals. The video comes after a record rise in petrol and diesel prices, at a time where energy bills are also increasing. As of Wednesday morning, the 16th of March, diesel rose to a record high of £1.76 per litre, while petrol was recorded to be at £1.64 a litre. A quick Google search will bring up advice over whether using cooking oil to power vehicles is viable. Cooking oil delivery firm Cater Oils says recycling vegetable oil into a biodiesel is possible. But on its advice page, the company adds a caveat that people really shouldn't just pour the oil directly from the bottle into their cars. This is due to it being so thick and sticky. This means it won't flow properly through the engine and it will not be burnt efficiently. This could cause it to solidify and build up, damaging the engine. The process of turning cooking oil into biodiesel, and therefore an efficient source of fuel, is called transesterification. But Cater Oils advises that this should be left to the experts. Cruise missiles destroy building near Viv Airport, military says as Klitschko warns of war on civilians in Kyiv. Several missiles have struck and destroyed a building near the airport in the western Ukrainian city of Lviv, according to the city's mayor. Ukraine's military said the aircraft repair plant was struck by cruise missiles fired from the direction of the Black Sea, which it said were likely KH-555 weapons launched from heavy strategic bombers. The plant was not in operation at the time of the strike and there were no casualties after at least three blasts, Mayor Andrei Sadovi said. Similar long-range cruise missiles are thought to have been used in an airstrike on Yavriv military base in western Ukraine on Sunday. Sky's Alistair Bunkal in Lviv said air raid sirens went off at 6.15am and he heard around 3 to 4 explosions 15 minutes later just as the city was waking up, just as the curfew had lifted. Air raid sirens heard in port city of Odessa. Russian ambassador to UN denies Putin's forces bombed Maripol Theater. U.S. President Joe Biden to warn Chinese President Xi Jinping against backing Russia in phone call. Turkey offers to host talks between Vladimir Putin and Volodymyr Zelensky. More than 150,000 British people register interest in housing refugees as homes for Ukraine scheme launches mayor of Kyiv, Vitaly Klitschko said Russian shelling in the district of Podil hit a school and preschool which were luckily not occupied at the time, adding that the morning's attack was another example of a war against civilians. I don't see any military people here. It's no military base, just apartments he told reporters in one of the many residential areas in the capital destroyed by unrelenting Russian attacks. He pointed to other cities such as Maripol. Kharkiv and Chernihiv facing similar heavy Russian bombardment in civilian areas. Asked by Sky's Alex Crawford if he thought it was a mistake or if he believed civilians are being deliberately targeted, he replied, how many civilians have to be killed? 
We have to stop the war, the killing of people, of children. He said 19 people had been taken to hospital, including four children, following Friday's attack, and one person had died. The governor of the northern Chernihiv region said 53 civilians have been killed in the past 24 hours. One of those killed this week in the central northern city of Chernihiv was an American university lecturer who was waiting in a bread line for food, his family said. Jimmy Hill, 68, had been trapped in the besieged city looking after his Ukrainian partner who is ill in hospital. He was among 10 people queuing for bread that were shot and killed by Russian snipers on Thursday, the U.S. Embassy in Kyiv said. In his last Facebook post, he wrote that his partner was in intensive care, adding, intense bombing. Still alive. Limited food. Room very cold. Naval activity has been seen in the Black Sea off the coast of Odessa, which is preparing for a Russian assault, according to a senior U.S. Defense Department official. However, the official said they have not seen imminent signs of an amphibious assault on the port city, which is a key target for Russia. The Ukrainian economy depends on the ports, so the loss of Odessa would be a major blow to Ukraine's economic prospects, cutting off much of its trade and isolating the country from the Black Sea and the Sea of Azov. Russian forces have made minimal progress this week. The UK's Ministry of Defence said in its latest update on the war in Ukraine. Ukrainian forces around Kyiv and Mykolaiv continue to frustrate Russian attempts to encircle the cities. The cities of Kharkiv, Chernihiv, Sumy and Maripol remain encircled and subject to heavy Russian shelling. The UN now states that the number of refugees fleeing the conflict in Ukraine has already surpassed 3.2 million. This number will continue to rise as a result of ongoing Russian aggression. More than 2 million refugees have now entered Poland from Ukraine since the start of the Russian invasion on 24 February, the Polish border guard tweeted. Daily crossings by people fleeing violence in Ukraine have slowed according to a UN refugee agency official. Matthew Saltmarsh said warmer weather might be a factor, but warned any escalation of violence in Lviv might cause numbers to rise again. General Sir Richard Sharef, former Deputy Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, has warned Putin cannot accept defeat and therefore in typical KGB style, if he's facing trouble in one direction he could cause even greater trouble in another. He told Sky News, what we have seen is an extraordinarily brave, tenacious, courageous Ukrainian defense, fired by the spirit to defend their country. They have been well supported by the West with anti-tank weapons, anti-aircraft missiles and the like, and they are showing they can use them. But we've also seen extraordinary incompetence and lack of professionalism by the Russian armed forces. They spread their forces too thin, they've failed to support them logistically, they have forgotten that fundamental maxim of war that amateurs talk tactics and professionals talk logistics. Morale by all accounts among the Russian soldiers is absolutely rock bottom. They were expecting to be greeted by flag-waving crowds and they have been greeted by ferocious defense.
Asked by Sky's Niall Patterson where Russian President Vladimir Putin's focus may turn to next, Sir Richard replied, We must be absolutely on our guard, for example, a chemical attack, quite potentially the use of tactical nuclear, and quite potentially some sort of attack against NATO territory. All bets should be on the table, we should be very clear about what might happen and take the necessary measures to guard against it he said, adding the ramping up of NATO troops on the eastern flank as a deterrent force should continue. We hope that you have enjoyed our podcast we thank you for your support. We hope to see you again next time.